0: Jane.
1: That was Jane. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Alternative Interests. Um, I know I, I teased last week that Jane was coming back, so here Jane is.
0: Okay, so this one isn't a conspiracy. I know like last time when I was on the Elisa Lamb uh, episode, I talked about how I really like conspiracies. This one is actually the case that got me into listening to crime podcasts and more into true crime documentaries and whatnot. It's the first true crime podcast episode I ever listened to was on this case. Uh, This is Robert Wan. I listened to the Crime Junkie episode on it because a friend of mine had posted about it on Facebook actually and she was like oh my god this case is so crazy. So I listened to it and now I'm mad at you, Crystal, because I didn't know that this case was so much more convoluted than I already thought it was. I did a bunch of research writing on this. I texted Crystal and I said, I wrote five pages and I don't know what's going on anymore. And I asked her to help me organize it. And then she had to come back at me with, wait, what about this? And what about that? And it was all stuff that I hadn't even heard of when I was researching and i'm really confused so
1: yeah i i tend to do that i'm real sorry i fell into a rabbit hole sometime on thursday night and i reemerged at about 7 this morning and there's a lot to go through i spent hours reading transcripts and you know we'll we'll go through it as best we can We tried to stick as close as we could with actual legal documents, so if something wasn't mentioned in the legal documents, we're going to try not to mention it, and some documents have actually been suppressed due to the lawyers involved on this, so we're going to do our best, and we are sorry in advance.
0: This is going to be the most confusing case that you've ever heard in your life, okay? So Robert Wan was born June 1st in um, New York City, 1974, by the way. He had one younger brother. He was the fourth generation Chinese American and his family members lived in Chinatown in neighboring areas from what I read, which I guess is like New York City's a big place. So there's probably multiple Chinatowns in that in that area. He attended the College of William and Mary, where he met his friend Joseph Price through the student government program. He was also active in the 13 Club, which is completely irrelevant, but I just thought it was cool. The 13 Club apparently went around campus doing anonymous good deeds. Which actually, if you paid attention,
1: I mean, none of you have done this. I'm sorry. You didn't pay attention. We paid attention to all the reports about Robert after he died, one thing that almost everyone said was that he was the, uh, this amazing, nice guy, the nicest guy ever. And so, like, this kind of goes with that. It's really cute.
0: Yeah. Um, he also had received an Algernon Sidney Sullivan Award, which was prevented, uh, presented to students excelling in characteristics of heart, mind, and helpfulness to others. After he was at the College of William and Mary, he... Um, attended the University of Pennsylvania Law School where he was really active in the Asian Pacific American Law Students Association. That's a mouthful. And uh, he published a law review article about racial harassment in the workplace. At the time of his death in 2006, he worked as a general counsel for Radio Free Asia, which I guess is like, what, like a lawyer for them?
1: Yeah, so he would have been, most big, especially media companies, this was a media company, have general counsel that advise them on things like, what are you allowed to say on the radio? What happens like with libel? What are we allowed to report? Stuff like that. And I think he had actually only worked there for about two weeks, three weeks. It was a really new position for him.
0: I don't know about how long he worked there, but I, I did hear that he had like just recently started this job. And I guess he was working late one night and um, a couple weeks prior um, to working this, this late night, he had asked two of his friends that lived closer to his job than he did if he could stay with them. And one was a woman whose name I did not find, um, but he had asked a friend, a female friend of his if he could stay overnight at her house because he was going to be working late and then he wanted to just go to sleep and then come back to work early the next morning but she was unavailable so he also contacted his friend joseph which i mentioned earlier and asked if he could stay with him and joseph had told him that yeah you can stay at our house this night so joseph's house there was four people that lived in this house joseph price uh, victor zaborski and dylan ward are the main people we'll talk about. There's also a roommate named Sarah who lived, I guess, in like this basement part of their house. But Sarah, on the night of this incident, was gone. Something that's really important throughout this whole thing is that Joseph and Victor were in a relationship with each other. And Dylan was also a part of that relationship They describe themselves as a family, but the way that it's been described by all of them is that Joseph and Victor are like the main couple in this relationship. And then Dylan is not like a third wheel, but Dylan and Joseph have this like dom-sub relationship with each other. And Victor later states that he was, they were all trying to make themselves equal parts of this relationship.
1: Really important to the story is also the layout of this house. It's a a three-story townhome with a basement apartment. And I am actually posting a photo of this layout on Instagram. And so please refer to that because the the layout is actually very, very important about some of the details about why the story does not make sense. So... The bottom basement mother-in-law apartment was actually, Sarah was renting that out from them. They called her a roommate, but they also called her a tenant at several points. So moving up to the second floor, I mean, the first floor is pretty normal. It's a kitchen, a dining room, a living room, pretty normal. The second floor of the apartment, uh, Dylan's room would be the first one you encounter as you come up to the second floor, and this is labeled as bedroom number two. Robert was staying in the office slash guest room that's across the room from Dylan's. This is labeled bedroom number three. Victor and Joseph had the third floor master suite. The whole top floor of this townhouse was a master suite with a bedroom, a master bath, and a rooftop patio.
0: So to start this timeline, um, it was August 2nd, 2006 their roommate slash tenant Sarah later stated in an interview that she had left the house at around 6 p.m. and then she called Joseph and informed him that she set the door alarm and that she would be spending the night at one of her friend's house. Joseph told Sarah that it was fine to leave the alarm on. Victor had come home from like a some kind of work trip. And I guess around 630, Crystal had found some information that was interesting, but.
1: So Victor was on a work trip and he arrived home at about 630 that night. He described in an interview with police that he came home. When he came home, Joseph was at the gym and Dylan was working out in his room. So Victor actually went to the gym as well. And when Victor came back from the gym, everyone was home. They all cooked dinner together. And actually, Victor said that they were having steaks. And Victor was the self-proclaimed grill master in the house. So this part is really interesting. And if you've ever heard this story before, I have never heard this detail before. So this was really interesting to me. Victor and Joseph, in Victor's interview with police. Victor said that he and Joseph shared an adopted son with a lesbian couple that lived a couple hours away. So while Victor is supposed to be cooking, he was on the phone with their adopted son. I guess he had lost a tooth and he was really excited about it. And the grill caught on fire, so they ha- he had to hang up really quick and run outside to put the fire out. He said specifically that they used water. He didn't say what the source of water was. Keep that in mind because it becomes important later. He said that they, uh, they were able to salvage their steaks, have a nice meal. They shared a bottle of wine together. Victor went upstairs to kind of start getting ready for uh, bed he was really ex- so it sounds like he had never seen the show project runway before but he was really excited to watch it with joseph so he described that um i guess while he was gone on his business trip their master shower was having some plumbing issues and joseph was trying to be mr fix it and he was actually trying to fix the issue with the shower upstairs. He was running water down the drains. If anyone has ever worked on a pipe, you know that, like, you kind of have to send water down the drain to figure out what's going on and what a leak is doing. So Joseph was kind of working on that throughout while Victor was cooking, kind of on and off throughout dinner. Victor and Joseph were kind of excited to watch Project Runway together. And all they knew was that it was on Bravo turns out that joseph had cut some of their um expenses earlier in the month and it actually canceled bravo so joseph went downstairs he says that he called the cable company to reinstate bravo and at about 10 he said about ten ten, they were able to start watching project
0: runway so um robert ended up Arriving at their house at around ten thirty p.m. that night, in all their interviews, they the the three men Joseph, Dylan, and um, Victor all kind of stated the same thing in the beginning about when Robert first showed up. Allegedly, Robert, Joseph, and Dylan shared a glass of water in the kitchen before they all re- went back to their rooms for the night. Robert took a shower. And went to sleep in the guest bedroom. Dylan was um, asleep in his bedroom and Joseph and Victor went to bed in their third floor bedroom.
1: A little more detail on this timeline. Victor says that he didn't go downstairs. Notice he didn't have a glass of water with Robert because he was already in his underwear and ready for bed. And Project Runway was almost over and he was planning to go to bed afterwards. Joseph said that after he got Robert situated, he caught the very end of Project Runway. So about, he estimates probably 1045 to 1050. He was able to come and watch the end of it. Victor kind of turned over to go to sleep. And Joseph had continued watching TV. This is very like... Couple to me, like I completely identify with this. That Joseph stayed up watching something else, and he could just tell that Victor was annoyed that he wasn't turning the TV off and just going to sleep. So Joseph said around eleven ten p.m. um, He could just tell that Victor was annoyed, so he turned the TV off to go to bed.
0: I can also relate to that because I am the type of person that has to have a lot of noise when I'm going to sleep, and i mean like a lot of noise okay i've got my cat's water fountain in my room so i have the sound of running water i have two air purifiers in my room and sometimes i like to have the tv on as well and sometimes that's a lot for my boyfriend and he will literally just take the remote or because we use roku you can have a remote on your phone my tv will just shut off and he's like, it's bedtime, so I'm like, all right, I guess it's bedtime. Um, so I can relate to that. I don't really, I don't really blame Victor for being annoyed. So when they they had went to bed, um, according to Victor and Joseph, they were woken up by the door chime from Rumor. I said, that they had had an alarm. I assume it was like, from from what it's described as, it's like the door chime from when like. Like, if you have an alarm in your house, like, every time you open a door that it's attached to this alarm, it does, like, a little boop-boop, like, alarm thing. And the residents all claimed that the security alarm was not engaged at this time for various reasons. Um, Those reasons change depending on who you ask. Joseph and Victor then heard grunts that made them suspicious and prompted them to check on Robert in his room where they had found him stabbed. Um, None of the residents claimed to have seen anyone else in the home, and no one heard anything. Their second floor hallway was actually wood flooring, so it's pretty notable that they didn't hear anybody, like, running down the stairs or running down the hall or anything, because, like, carpet, I guess, if you're careful, I can understand, you wouldn't hear somebody running, but if you've got wood floor and someone's running... You can just be, like,
1: walking across the floor. And wood floors creak. They make lots of noise. It's damn near impossible to m- not make a sound when you're walking on wood.
0: I've got wood floor in my house. Um, I'm a very small woman. My boyfriend says I've got thunder in footsteps. <laughs> so, <laughs> you would hear it. To be fair to him, though,
1: you do walk, like, with purpose.
0: Yeah, I walk like our dad. I, I think I actually sound like our dad when we walk, or, you know, if we were, like, walking next to each other. I don't know why that is. I'm 5'4". I'm, uh, like, 120 pounds soaking wet, and our dad is, like, six foot and, like, 300 pounds or something, so I guess I walk really heavy. Anyways, (laughs) apparently no one heard anybody running through the house after they found Robert in his room, and... Apparently, also, no one heard a second door chime, which would indicate somebody leaving the house. We were going over the notes, though, before we started this episode, and Crystal had told me that she found information that, yeah, it suggests otherwise. Do you want to talk about that?
1: I'll go into it later when we talk about the interviews at the end.
0: Okay. At this point, like, let's go over the 911 call. The 911 call is seven minutes long. And and there's a lot in that phone call. Uh,
1: we're going to split it into two parts because actually one part is include, I'm just going to say, um, the, the phone call in Crime Junkie is not the entire phone call. So we're actually going to play that first section for you right now because it's pretty straightforward and we will go over the weird part later.
2: D.C., Emergency 911, Operator 6752, do you need police, fire, or ambulance? I need an ambulance. What's wrong, ma'am? We just, uh, we had someone in our house, evidently, and they stabbed somebody. Okay, somebody's inside the house now? I don't know, we heard... Are they bleeding? You see someone yes, bleeding? someone is bleeding in our house. Okay, where's they bleeding from? Uh, I think he's, I think in the stomach stomach is he conscious uh, calm down for me I'm, I'm gonna send some help okay female or male it's a male he's a friend of ours He's he spending the night with us okay and who was the person that stabbed him do you know is I he know. Is, is he conscious we need an ambulance ma'am, ma'am. Listen, listen to me. me he's not conscious he's not conscious at all no we need someone right now is he breathing listen, is. To, listen to me calm down I'm gonna help you okay is he breathing I'm upstairs. And he's downstairs? I don't know. Okay, who's downstairs with him? My partner is downstairs with him right now. He told me to go upstairs and call the police immediately. I just went to the stairs and. Said, okay, who's the person? Okay, I'm sending paramedics and the police. Okay, who's the person that stabbed him? I don't know. We think it's somebody with an intruder in the house. We heard a chime at the door. <laughs> 15, ma'am, calm down. 1509 Swan Street, Northwest. Am I correct? Yes, it is. The person that says, is she still in the home? I don't know.
3: Okay.
2: We got help in route, okay? Pardon me? We have help in route. Thank you. They're here. Okay. They are there, route to you now. i sending the police and the paramedics, okay, to assist. Okay, what I need you to do is go downstairs, okay? The place where wherever he was stabbed at, I need you to get a dry cloth, okay? And just apply pressure to that area. If he was wherever he was stabbed at on his body, I need you to take a towel downstairs while you're waiting for the paramedics to arrive and just apply pressure. Even if the rag or towel is saturated with blood, just get another towel and put it on top, but never lift the first towel off the area. Hold it on. Once it gets filled up with blood, just put another towel on top of that. And just apply pressure until the paramedics arrive. Press service,
3: yes. Yes. Okay. on the yes.
2: heart. In the heart? Yes. In the center of his chest. Okay. Is he breathing? Is he breathing?
3: We have help the route now,
2: okay? You don't know who it was?
3: No, he don't
2: hurt, don't hurt. Just, just, just
3: like
2: Okay, is he breathing? She's breathing, but she needs help now. Okay, we have help and route, ma'am, okay? We do have help and row. Okay, just go down there and try to tell your husband or your other um, the other half to just try to keep him calm and talk to him, okay? Keep them calm and talk to them until someone gets there. Okay. And at the same time, get a dry cloth and just hold it right there in the area. My partner's holding the okay. It, it, holding it on in. Okay, and once it gets saturated with blood, tell them get another one. Go get another towel okay. so you can apply it on top of that one once it gets filled up with blood. Okay. We need, well, I, we need I, you to apply pressure on that area. Yeah,
3: applying pressure. Right
2: now. Okay, just hold it there until the paramedics get there. They should be pulling up any moment if they're already around to your location.
0: So the 911 call. So. At 11.49 p.m., the 911, bleh, the 911 call was uh, placed by Victor. The operator started by asking if he needed police, fire, or ambulance. Victor only requested an ambulance. Which, if there was an intruder in my house... I want everyone. I would be like, send the entire police force and, like, every ambulance. I would want everybody to show up. But... We don't know how people are going to act in times of trauma and and all that. Much later in the phone call, Victor expressed that he was too scared to go downstairs because he didn't know if the alleged intruder was still in the house. Victor can also be heard in the phone call saying he heard the door chime after hearing a scream. After hearing the scream.
1: So this is really interesting because... Uh, obviously, all three of these men were interviewed in the aftermath because you want to get the full story of what happened that night. Victor and Joseph were both interviewed two times that night. And Victor's first interview started at 4 a.m. on the 3rd. In this in the first interview, he actually said that he well, he didn't say he did not mention the door time at all in his first interview really interesting in his second interview which was a couple hours later he very specifically says he did not hear a door chime only screams but then later in that same interview so I mean this is just good interview technique that detectives will ask the same question over and over again to see if your story changes Victor's damn idiot because his story changed so this second interview initially he says I did not hear a door chime But then later in the same interview, when he's asked questions again, he says, I heard a door chime again, like as in not the first time. So Victor essentially is saying he heard two door chimes.
0: Another thing that's interesting, though, is that if you go into the analysis of Victor, his voice and the inflection and what he says during the the 911 call, he doesn't say in the 911 call. I heard a door chime. He says, we heard a door chime. And he keeps referring to we. Every time the operator asks him something, he said, we heard this. Then, you know, he just keeps saying we. Which kind of sug- suggests that they talked to each other about what had happened before he placed the phone call. Which is suspicious, if you ask me. So, there's one document that I read. It was called... The Affidavit in Support of an Arrest Warrant for Dylan Ward. In that document, it states, Zaborski, who's Victor, Zaborski's comments to the 911 operator suggest that he had talked with the other residents in the house before placing the call to the 911 operator and that he represented things that we saw and we heard allegedly before discovering that Mr. Wan had been attacked. Which is what I just said.
1: Additionally, so in that 911 phone call, Victor says almost right away, it's like right off the bat. And I mean, we played it for you guys so you can hear. He says there was a man stabbed. I mean, it's within the first 15 to 20 seconds, I think. In his first interview, he actually tells police that when he made the phone call, he didn't know what was going on. And his timeline of that night, because they actually ask him like, tell us how the 911 call went victor says that he called 911 he didn't know what was wrong and he had to go downstairs and joseph told him when he went downstairs what was going on but that is very clear very clearly not what happened based on the 911 call
0: so then the operator after victor victor tells the operator he was stabbed in the heart right in the center of his chest so the operator instructed Victor to have someone get a dry cloth or a towel and hold pressure to the wound and hold it there. And if it gets too soaked up, just get another one. Don't take the pressure off and just put another towel on top and keep applying the pressure until the paramedics arrived. And Victor told the operator that his partner was currently doing that.
1: So now we are going to play the rest of the 911 call because the rest of it gets kind of weird.
2: You don't know who did this? We have no idea who did this. Is the door open so they can get in? We don't know how they got in. OK, well, I'm asking you now, is the door open so the paramedics can get in once they get here? What? Sorry. What were you saying? Is the door open so they can get in? Is the okay. door open so the so the paramedics can get in the home? Well, I'm
3: going to go
2: down. Is this a private home or apartment? It's, it's a home. It's a home. at 1509 Swan Street, Northwest. The person had one of our lives. The person that stabbed and ran out the door with a knife? I, I think... Uh, okay, anybody get any type of description of the person that came in at home? I have no
3: idea. We have no description. We heard, we heard the chime and and we heard the scream
2: from our friends. Okay. And so we came running downstairs. We ran in. So you both was upstairs and your friend was downstairs? Yes. You heard the door open and then you heard the scream? We
3: didn't... I didn't hear the door open until after the screen and then we ran down the stairs and we heard we are we have an alarm and so the chime went off.
2: Okay. Is the ambulance please? We really need the ambulance. Okay. To they, in ro- they, they, are. they in wrong now ma'am. Go to the door. They should be pulling up any moment. Okay. I'm afraid to go downstairs. <laughs> okay. The person who's downstairs was the person that was assaulted. No, we're in the we're on the second floor. Okay, so somebody needs to go to open the door for the paramedics. You're not sure if that person's still in the home or not? I have no idea. Okay, we have paramedics in route. okay? What time is it? What time is it at the moment? Yes. It 23.54. It's 11.54, 1154. ma'am. 23:54. Yes. I mean... I'll stay on the line with you. I will stay on the line until somebody gets here, okay? I won't hang up. We need them right now. I'm not hanging up, but we need, we need help now. Okay, they are in route, ma'am. They are in the <sighs> Let me know when you hear the paramedics. Can you look out the window and see if you hear them coming? I'm, I'm looking out the window, and I see nothing. I see nobody. OK. same seemed like forever, but they are en route, ma'am. They're coming. I here they are. Here they are. They're there. i I'm going downstairs. OK. I'll stand in line with you till you open the door for a paramedic, OK? <laughs> But we someone was stabbed on our
3: second floor. Man. No, <laughs> it's really an emergency. I mean, he's leaving. Please hurry. What? <laughs> Ma'am, this won't be okay.
0: <laughs> so during the call, Victor asked the operator. What time is it? And when, when he asked that, he, w- he was really, like, calm. Like, his voice changes in the middle, if you can tell. his voice. He gets really calm. At one point, he, he even stops paying attention to the operator. She's asking him a question. He's like, I'm sorry, what? Like, he wasn't listening. And so he asks, what time is it? And then she tells him what time it is. Um, she had said it was 1154 p.m., Without prompting, Victor then volunteered that the person had one of their knives from their kitchen. He just told her, oh, he had one of our knives, which I don't know how he would know that when they allegedly just found this body and just found it stabbed. He may not have even known that it was stabbed, depending on which interview that you go based off from. That, and he says that he hadn't even gone downstairs yet, so, and
1: he's claiming this person that they think exists ran out of their house with one of their knives except none of them can give a description because none of them saw this person so
0: how do you know he ran out with one of your knives towards the end of the 911 call the paramedics finally show up and when he goes out he goes downstairs opens the door the paramedics see him at at the doorway and he says you know someone's been stabbed we need help so there were two EMS workers that showed up. I just the
1: only note I want to make about that is that Victor hadn't hung up with the 911 operator yet, so you can actually hear the beginning of this exchange, and it's like night and day. I mean, Victor was calm before this point, but the second he encountered the EMS workers, he just starts sobbing and he's hysterical.
0: It's like he's putting on a show. So there were there were two EMS workers. And neither of these people were like new. Uh, I believe they had said one of them had 10 years of experience and the other one had like 15, I think. So they went up to the second floor um, and saw Dylan in a bathrobe at the top of the stairs near the bathroom. And I also didn't note yet. Victor, it was noted that that when they showed up, Victor was also wearing a bathrobe. Like they said that they were clean, white bathrobes. So the EMS worker went up to the top of the stairs at the second floor, and he asked him what's going on, and Dylan didn't say anything. He just went into his bedroom. He went into his bedroom and shut the door without saying a word to the EMS person, which in itself is alarming considering someone is dead in your house. But then the EMS worker went further down the hall to the bedroom where Robert was supposed to be staying at, and he found Joseph sitting on the edge of the bed wearing only underwear, and his back was facing the door and he wasn't touching Robert at all. And the towel that that Joseph allegedly was pressing to Robert's wounds was on the floor. And he wasn't interacting with him. His back was to the door. And just not he wasn't touching him at all. He was just sitting there. The EMS worker asked Joseph what's going on. And Joseph replied, I heard a scream. And then he stood up and moved sideways away from the bed, keeping his back to the EMS worker. In Joseph's interview, he was clear that he did not hear a scream.
1: Yeah, later on when he's... Like, I read through his transcripts. He's, like, adamant. he was like, I never heard a scream. I maybe said the word yell, but I never said scream. He's, like, adamant about this. It's weird.
0: So the EMS worker um, later was kind of interviewed, too. And and he, uh, he had stated... Everyone's behavior made the hair on the back of his neck stand up Um, and he was particularly concerned with Joseph's behavior and visually checked him for weapons when he entered the room and saw him like that because his back was turned to him. He moved sideways around the bed so that his back would stay turned to him. So like if I was that EMS guy and I came in and saw that I would have immediately assumed that he had a weapon in his hands. And actually
1: also notable is this EMS worker, I mean, when EMTs respond to a scene like this, they generally will go straight to the victim and it's usually like shortest distance for me to get to that person. I mean, they will knock tables out of the way. They'll move people out of the way. This EMT was very particular and he said he went all the way around to the other side of the bed specifically because Joseph was making him so uncomfortable.
0: So the second EMT worker noted, um, when, when she entered the room, there was no blood in the room at all. There was no blood on the victim and there was no signs of disarray or struggle in the, in the room and, or even in the house in general, um, through the parts of the house that, that she had walked through. The only item that was out of place was a knife on the nightstand next to the bed, um, which appeared to have come from the kitchen downstairs. I don't, That's that's what the the document had said. But I assume it's just because it was a kitchen knife like that that type of knife that they were like, oh, that came from the kitchen. Yeah. And actually, if you
1: look at the knife, it doesn't look like if I was. And this is going to sound if I was going to go and stab someone in their sleep, um, I would not use this. knife. It was like very clearly a steak knife. Like it's not even like a meat cleaver or a big butcher knife. This is like a steak knife.
0: I like how you went straight to meat cleaver as if as if normal people just have meat cleavers in their house because I don't think I have ever owned one. I don't think we even had one growing up. Nobody just has a meat cleaver unless they're like a chef. But OK, according to the second EMT worker, she said it it, it appeared as if the body had been stabbed, showered, redressed and then placed on the bed because he he wasn't like. In bed like he was about to go to sleep. He was found with his arms placed down at his sides. He was just laying flat on the bed. It didn't even look like once he laid down that that he had moved his head off the pillow or changed position at all. The bed was made underneath him. Um, and this was a pull-out couch bed, if that matters. But they, I guess they had made the bed for him because they knew that he was going to stay there. So the bed was like neatly made. They said it was like it was made... Um, like you would find a bed at a hotel when you first check into a room. And he was just laid flat on top of it. And the corner corner of the blanket was folded down at a 45-degree angle, apparently. So upon examining Robert's body, there was no blood coming from any of the three stab wounds in his chest. He had a stab wound that was directly into his heart, one into his right lung, and one in his lower intestine. The first EMT worker recalls seeing no blood on Mr. Wan's chest, as if someone had cleaned up the area surrounding the wounds. More specifically, he saw a very light film of blood with striation marks, as if someone had taken a towel and wiped it down his chest. Based on the complete lack of any signs of life, Mr. Wan was dead and appeared to have been dead for some period of time.
1: This is really interesting because... Jane and I didn't catch it until we listened to the 911 call again just now. In the first part of the call, Victor actually says that Robert is breathing but he needs an ambulance now.
0: Yeah, and I've heard that call so many times and I I never noticed that. It's just like one of those things where like you listen to something multiple times and if you, each time you listen to it you pay attention at different parts. It's really weird. So Robert was taken to the hospital and was pronounced dead at the hospital at 1225 a.m., which was only 36 minutes after Victor called 911. The EMS workers found
1: Robert with his arms at his sides, which is really odd because when Victor was in his interview, his second interview, He actually said that he walked into the... And there's so many inconsistencies here, which is ridiculous. Because his first interview, he said that he did not see Robert's body. His second interview, he says that he walked into the room and he knew that um, Robert had been stabbed. Because Robert was actually holding his stomach in pain when Victor saw him. The exact quote is, quote, I vividly remember now... Because the hand was in so awkward position, like Victor. Like, I I get this because there are some things that and everybody gets this. Like you see something that is so ridiculously out of place that it just sticks out in your head. There's actually an ex uh, description of what Robert's hand looked like. So it was like if you. If you took your thumb and you sandwiched it between your forefinger and your middle finger, that is what Victor said that Robert's hand was doing when he saw him with his hand on his stomach. That is a very specific detail, and I can't, I don't think that was made up.
0: If you had been stabbed, why would you hold your stomach like that?
1: It was only one hand. It wasn't both hands. Both he and Joseph said that Robert had one hand on his stomach.
0: You're making me try to imagine what I would do if I'd been stabbed in the stomach and i feel like you would use both i've never been stabbed so i don't know how i would hold my stomach but i feel like my hand wouldn't be in that weird specific position and i don't know that's a really weird thing to if that was made up that would be a really weird thing to make up to have your hand in in that weird of a position so i don't really know what that means i don't know I don't know anything. This is what I'm talking about. You came up with all this extra information that I didn't know. I'm going to end up crying. Okay. Um, so later on, a blood spatter analyst concluded that the blood or lack of blood was entirely inconsistent with a stabbing taking place while laying on the bed as he was allegedly found. Um, and we'll talk about that later when I go into the autopsy as well. Um, the towel that Joseph had supposedly used to um, staunch the bleeding was on the floor by the bed with a couple small bloodstains on it. It was concluded that these bloodstains were inconsistent with having been used to apply pressure to the wounds as Victor claimed was happening during the 911 call. And if you go on the Instagram, you can see the picture of the towel, um, which if you know this case, like that's a really, it's it's a pretty... I don't know what to call it, like a famous picture involving this case, because if you've been stabbed in the heart, like the amount of blood that's on this towel is similar to that. Like my my coworker cut his hand yesterday. I've had more blood come out of me
1: with a nosebleed than was on this towel, to be honest.
0: Oh, dude, same, same. Actually, if you think I got a nosebleed at work like a couple weeks ago. And I had more blood on my shirt during that nosebleed, actually, than was on this towel. Remember I had said that the, the, that knife was found on the nightstand um, by the bed? It was found that there was no blood along the cutting edge of that knife, which is interesting because the blood pattern on this towel, um, according to the analyst, the analyst stated that the blood pattern on the towel was consistent with the pattern one would expect to see if someone held the towel in one hand and a bloody knife. Well, I guess it wouldn't be, be bloody, but if, if someone had held the towel in one hand and the knife in the other and then placed the knife on the towel and folded the towel over the blade of the knife and then swiped the blood from the towel onto the knife. And there's areas on the back side of the towel which are consistent with blood having been absorbed through the towel where, like, your fingers would be if you were trying to wipe blood onto a knife with, with the towel.
1: Basically, imagine taking a towel with and, like, wrapping it around a single finger and, like, dipping it in blood and then, like, pinching your fingers together to get the blood onto the knife blade.
0: But there was no blood along the actual cutting edge. It was only on the sides of the knife, which supports that this the knife that was on the nightstand could not have been used in a stabbing. Because if it was, obviously there'd be blood on the actual cutting edge. And the knife that was on the nightstand measured five and a half inches of blade. And the blood that was found... The blood was found on the entire length of the blade. In the autopsy later, we'll talk about all three of these stab wounds were only five inches at the very deepest. They said they were four to five inches deep. So there is no reason why there would be blood on that last half inch of the blade if, it was, if, if the stab wound wasn't that deep. And a significant amount of cotton fibers consistent with the towel were found on the knife. The shirt that Robert was found wearing had holes in it where these stab wounds were, but none of the fibers on the knife matched his shirt. They all matched the towel that w- that was found on the floor. Every possible external entrance to this house was thoroughly examined and it was found that there was no evidence of forced entry. There was um, the front door, obviously, the back door, the back gate to the backyard. There was a seven-foot fence that went around the whole backyard. The back gate to- into the backyard was locked Um, The entrance to Sarah's basement apartment was, was locked. And there was no forced entry at any of these places. There was also no property missing from the residence. So it's weird to think about someone would break into this place. However they got in. Someone would break into this place. Bypass all of the stuff on the first floor and this is a really expensive house at the time I mean in 2006 it was said that it was worth at least a million dollars this house actually went up for sale last year and was sold in the end of 2019 for over two million right
3: yeah
0: it was said that they had a lot of expensive electronics and just expensive stuff on the first floor and you have to think about like an intruder bypassed all of this stuff For whatever reason, they went up to the second floor, bypassed Dylan's room for some reason, and went straight to the room of a guest and stabbed him and just left. And didn't do anything else and didn't take anything because there was no property missing. And I mean, you could try and make the
1: argument that someone knew Robert was staying here, but. According, and I I actually forgot to mention this earlier, according to the timeline that Victor gave, Dylan didn't actually know that Robert was coming until that night. Victor didn't find out that Robert was coming until he found Dylan making up the guest bedroom for him. So Dylan and Victor didn't know until the very last second that Robert was coming to stay that night. Joseph was the only one that actually really knew um, a whole week in advance that Robert was planning on staying with them that night
3: lack
0: of communication in this uh, relationship trio here because he knew for a whole week that he was gonna be there and he didn't like they didn't talk about it which I think is weird but that's a different that's a different thing um <laughs> Robert's autopsy was done on the same day that he died which I don't know if that's normal is it to do it on the same day that the person dies because like when we talked about like Elisa lamb right
1: her stuck forever.
0: Well and she was decomposed (laughs) but I think they did hers a little bit after she was found. Well the autopsy report was submitted six months after but I think they waited a, a day or two before they did her autopsy. We'll also take into consideration that Robert was
1: declared dead at midnight 30. So having it done that same day doesn't it doesn't seem too weird to me because technically it's actually the next day if you're talking in terms of sleeps. I
0: guess that's true. I guess that's true. So we'll go over the whole autopsy now. There's. This is where the case gets really, really fucking weird. Um, He had petechial hemorrhaging in his eyes. Particularly, it was noted the right sclera and the left lower con- conjunctiva. <laughs> yeah. Basically, petechial hemorrhaging happens when you're, like, smothered or if you get, like, choked too hard. It's it's when your eyes, like, turn red from, from lack of oxygen.
1: And, like, the little baby blood vessels burst. Yeah.
0: Um, his hyoid bone was intact, which a lot of people know is, like, your hyoid bone is what proves if you've been, like manually strangled or not your hyoid bone will break a lot of the time I won't say proves but it's
1: a strong indicator because sometimes people are strangled and their hyoid bone actually isn't broken
0: true his bite guard was in his mouth his wife had noted later on that he needed this bite guard because he had problems with like grinding his teeth at night and it was one of the last things that he would do before he actually like went to sleep was he would put his bite guard in Which is interesting. I have to assume that he put his own bite guard in his mouth. You know, that was my initial thought too. But after I was reading
1: some comments on Web Sleuths, someone made the point that Robert looked like he had been washed and redressed before he was put in bed. Maybe they would have also thought to put his
0: bite guard in. Like. To pretend that he was like asleep when it happened or Mm
3: -hmm.
0: interesting. Um, Robert had multiple needle marks kind of all over his body. There was multiple needle puncture marks on the left side of his neck. Three in the center of his chest. Two in the upper portion of his right foot. And one on the back of his left hand. And it was noted that these needle marks were not caused by any medical treatment he received, and according to the examiner, the needle marks were made before he died. According to his wife, he did not have any medical appointments or of any kind in the weeks leading up to his death that would have explained these marks. Approximately 750 milliliters of free blood was removed from the abdominal cavity at the autopsy, with... An additional 1 to 200 milliliters of blood like in and around all the connective tissues when the pericardial sac was opened at autopsy approximately another 200 milliliters of blood came out of it I know that one of the arguments about this about why there wasn't blood found at the crime scene was because they some people were thinking that the way that he was stabbed all of the blood would have just gone internally, but the the blood analyst already confirmed that that's not, that's not consistent with what should have happened. It wouldn't have all just leaked inside of his body. There would have been a significant amount of blood outside of his body, but there wasn't. And, you know,
1: a lot of our listeners are in the USA, so we don't speak in milliliters, but when you're talking about blood in the body... We're saying that about 1,000 milliliters of blood came out of him. The human body has anywhere from 4,500 to 5,700 milliliters. So he had only about a quarter of his blood left in his body.
0: So where was it? Because it wasn't inside his body at all. And it wasn't at the crime scene. We have a couple thousand milliliters of blood missing.
1: And actually, I mean, we could talk on the lower end of that, but that's for someone like Jane said, she's 5'4 and 120 pounds. She might have 4,500 milliliters of blood in her,
0: but Robert Wan was, what, six feet tall? No, actually, Robert Wan was about my size because he he was 5'3 and he was, I think that they said he was maybe like 150 pounds.
1: Okay, so uh, again, even talking on the low scale, Robert may have had 4,500. Men, I think, tend to have a little bit more. So he could have had as much as 5,000, perhaps. But st- they only found 1,000 milliliters of blood in his system. So we're missing a good 75 to 80% of his blood here.
0: And it does, it does say that hemorrhaging into the body cavities is consistent with these type of stab wounds. But, I mean, it's not... It's not all going to go in the body. Um, The blood analyst had stated that none of this is consistent with being stabbed this way. There should have been a lot of blood outside of his body at the crime scene. So the autopsy noted his right lung was collapsed because he got stabbed in it. um, And it weighed 240 grams. The left lung was expanded and weighed 400 grams. And it said the consistency of the left lung was boggy due to fluid saturation. I don't know what that means. I was hoping you would know what that means.
1: Um, According to this medical website, a quote unquote boggy lung is consistent with acute respiratory distress syndrome. So that would make me think he was alive when he was stabbed in his lung. So basically he was having trouble breathing and something about having trouble breathing makes your lungs react a certain way. Like you're in distress.
0: I would also be distressed if I had been stabbed. Um, And we don't know the order of the stabs either. We don't know which place was stabbed first. So I don't know if that has any significance to how boggy his lung was, you know. Uh, I just never heard of that before, and the the autopsy specifically, like, says boggy. I've I've never seen that before. His stomach contained approximately 30 milliliters of brown mucoid fluid and no fragments of solid food. In no particular order, because I said we don't know which order the stabs happened in. I just, I'm going to talk about stab wound one, two, and three. That doesn't necessarily mean that's the order that he was stabbed in. Stab wound one, described as being at an angle from 10 o'clock to 4 o'clock position, like if you're looking at a clock face, the 4 o'clock end is blunt at the top and the 10 o'clock end is sharp. So he was stabbed with like the sharp end of the knife pointed upwards. Which
1: if you think about knives are specifically made to be held in Like They're made to fit your hand a specific way. Even more so because this is a steak knife. It's made to be used in a specific way. So when I read this, um, and actually all three of his stab wounds are very, very similar. All three of them have the same 10 o'clock to 4 o'clock position. All three of them have the sharp end of the knife being at the 10 o'clock position. This means either someone grabbed a knife and stabbed him with the knife upside down and in an uncomfortable position in your hand. Or Robert was upside down when he was stabbed.
0: Oh. Oh, I only thought about it like, why Why are they holding the knife upside down? I didn't even think about like the possibility of him physically being upside down when he was stabbed.
1: And maybe not even physically upside down, but like if he was laying down... This would indicate that whoever stabbed
0: him was possibly at his head. Like if he was laying down and someone was sitting like above him yeah. or something. Like kneeling by his I leg. didn't even think about that. I was just wondering why someone would hold a knife upside down. Okay. So they were all 10 o'clock to 4 o'clock position with the sharp end upwards. The depth of all three of these wounds is 4 to 5 inches and all of them were the the wound direction is noted as front to back, right to left, and slightly downward. So he was stabbed from the front of his body, right to left being like you know the angle the the ten o'clock to four o'clock position, and slightly downward. So I don't know if that proves or disproves someone being above his head. If it's if if it's at a downward angle, then I feel like the person would be. either in front of him or like if let's say he's laying down maybe someone's straddling him on the bed type of position you know yeah or i don't know which side of the bed he was on right or left side of the bed but it could have been someone standing next to him on the bed and that's why like let's say he was on if you're looking at a bed he was on the right side of the bed right and someone was standing next to him on the right side of the bed that that might explain why It's at a 10 to 4 position. Actually, I think there are not many crime
1: scene photos that have been released from this. I think there's only five total. I think one of the crime scene photos showed the bed. And I think Robert was on the left side. If you were standing at the foot of the bed looking at the bed, I think he was on the left.
0: Okay, so maybe someone was standing on the left side. But they were standing in a position that placed them above his head it still doesn't make sense why it would be at a downward angle nothing makes sense ever
1: i have a theory and i will go into it later when i talk about the interviews because there is one very important detail that i have never heard before and it may explain these stab wounds
0: so like i had mentioned before um he had been stabbed in the heart in the lower intestine or the small intestine and that stab wound also went into a part of his pancreas. Um, and then the, the other stab wound was into his right lung. According to the medical examiner who performed the autopsy, the wounds appeared to have been methodically infi- inflicted because they were all the same depth, the same exact position, the same, like, everything about them was pretty much exactly the same. It was also noted... None of the knife wounds would have killed or even rendered Robert unconscious immediately. And it was determined that unless he was somehow incapacitated in another way, Robert would have reacted instinctively, perhaps by raising his arms or fighting back, which he did not. Um, Unless we're agreeing that it's true that Victor saw him with his hand on his stomach. Yeah, but he had no defensive wounds at all. Um, And I think this is where like those puncture wounds come into play because... So later on, it is found that there were drugs in the house, but there was nothing. Injectable. In, there was nothing like intravenous, intra, I- injectable drugs. There, it was just ecstasy, as far as I know. There wasn't any other kind of drugs, and people don't inject ecstasy. That's a that's like a, it looks like a sweet tart, like it's yeah, a little so. pill. So I don't know, and I never heard anything about them finding needles in the house did you no so blood tests were done on robert which came back clean for like what they tested for which would be like normal drugs um and there was no testing for paralytics based on the three men's initial statements given to police so when i was listening to the generation y podcast they had said that they're just police didn't take enough blood they were testing for the regular things like you know like a regular drug test but nothing came up and apparently the police just like ran out of blood and weren't able to test for other things and there's so many things that could incapacitate a person there's no test that they can do that would test for just every possible thing like you have to kind of have some type of idea what you're looking for and they didn't because the first tests they did were for regular drugs and it all came up clean. Robert was also not ever known to be a drug user. So they just, apparently they just ran out of blood. And they didn't they didn't take enough or, you know, I can't imagine like how much blood you would need to test and continually just keep testing for all these different things.
1: And then also keep in mind that he only had so much blood to begin with.
0: They also collected um, a sexual assault kit during his autopsy because there was semen found in and around Robert's genitalia and rectum, like in in his butt. There was semen in, inside of him. The defense case had claimed that the presence of semen was from the postmortem process, like when they finally went to court. They claim that the semen was from a post-mortem process and was not indicative of rape or sexual assault. The defense stated, quote, it is well documented in forensic pathology literature that seminal fluid and urine are commonly secreted by men as part of the post-mortem process. Muscle relaxation immediately after death explains the finding of leaking out of urine or seminal fluid. So that might explain why there was some on him, but it doesn't explain why it's in him. And it also does not explain the fact that Robert's underwear was tested and nothing about seminal fluid was mentioned, which leads to believe that none was found on his clothing. And this is also confusing because it's assumed that he was murdered and then washed. And I don't, it doesn't make sense. And
1: I just have to state it right now because I don't think that we made this explicit enough that the semen found on and inside Robert was all his own. There was not a single bit of foreign seminal fluid that was found on him or in him.
0: Oh, yeah. That's important. It was all his own. If it is believed that Robert was murdered by an intruder and was clothed, clothed when murdered... As he was found by the residents of the house, the evidence seems to indicate that the seminal fluid was released while Robert was not wearing clothing and then was dressed afterwards. His wife had claimed that he wore underwear and like a t-shirt to bed all the time. So he was, that's what he was wearing when he was found was, was just underwear and a t-shirt as if he was about to go to sleep, which kind of like... I don't know that that in itself kind of confuses me if somebody else is is supposed to have dressed him like how would they know what he normally wears to bed. So if he he had already,
1: everyone says that Robert had already showered that night when he got there if I mean you get out of the shower you get into your jammies so Robert probably got dressed in what he was planning on wearing to sleep. And something happened after that.
0: Okay. So, like, he was, he was dressed like that and then maybe undressed or something. And then they just put those same clothes back on him?
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. So, that's the autopsy. When police arrived to the house, they found all three men, Victor, Joseph, and Dylan... In the living room and they all appeared freshly showered joseph wanted to do all the talking for the three men but they quickly separated them and questioned them all separately because of that because well they would have done that anyways but it was noted that joseph was kind of trying to take over and and give all the information and not let the other ones talk and so when the police showed up too they interviewed a neighbor whose bedroom shared a wall with the guest room because um, remember this is like a townhouse or like row house or whatever so they share walls. This neighbor stated that they were watching a news segment which aired from 11 to 11 30 and at some point during this news segment is when the neighbor heard a scream come from the guest bedroom. So Victor's phone call to the police happened at is when he first placed the call. So if this happened at some point during this news segment, at the very least, Victor waited 19 minutes to call, which that's a lot of time. But if it happened at the beginning of this news segment, and earlier, we mentioned that Joseph and Victor didn't actually go to... They didn't turn the TV off until 11.10. And how, I don't know how fast these people are falling asleep. Can't relate. But if they're already asleep, the the TV gets turned off at 11.10 and they're already asleep, then we have... Let's give them five minutes to fall asleep at, at minimum, right? Like 11.15 is the earliest time that this scream could have happened. Why did Victor not call until eleven forty nine? That's a lot of time and like a lot could have happened during that time. So at
1: this point, we've gone over the events of what happened that night, a little bit of the details, some of the weird stuff. It gets a lot weirder and there's a lot more to cover I'm sorry. It is too damn much and we are going to split it. So we're going to call it quits right here. The next episode, uh, I will try not to make you guys wait a whole week for this one because we've done a couple of two-parters in re- like recently. But the next part, we're going to go over interviews, um, things that were found in the house, the, a little bit of the investigation and um, theories a little bit. So hold tight. We will get the second part out as soon as we can. Um, yeah, we will figure it out and we will talk to you next time. Um, we'll see you soon. Hopefully.
3: Bye. Bye.